Welcome to the American Cinematographer Podcast. Go behind the scenes with today's top filmmakers as they discuss the techniques they bring to the art of motion imaging. I'm Ian Stasikevich, contributing writer for American Cinematographer magazine. Buried has a simple premise. A man wakes up in a coffin. He's been buried alive. He needs to find a way out or he'll die. Cinematographer Edward Grau shot Buried on film with one actor, one set, and a handful of lights. The result earned him the Bronze Frog Award at Camera Image 2010. In this episode, Edward sits down with AC to blow the coffin lid off the making of this unique film. It's a really effective film. Uh, I just saw it last night, and going into it, you just have this real feeling of claustrophobia, just thinking about this guy being stuck in a coffin for who knows how long, and if he's going to get out. What did you think when you first read the script? I got super excited when I received the script. It was like, this movie is unique. It's just once in a lifetime you get offered a movie inside the coffin. You know, it's it's obviously a, one of those scripts that you receive once and they might never get back to you again. You know, you feel it's it's something new, something interesting, something about life and death and and not something only about claustrophobia or about an Iraqi so, a soldier, an Iraqi contractor. And held with inside a coffin. It's, you know, the first 10 minutes, it's about claustrophobia, and you get a bit panicked because the movie, it's only gonna be about that. But when reading the script you and watching the movie, you realize that no, then it, it evolves to something else. It becomes a movie about so many other things, and mainly about a character that, you know, claustrophobia is one thing, but it's mainly in the first 15 minutes. Afterwards, it becomes a thriller. It becomes a roller coaster of emotions. It becomes like Indiana Jones in a, in, inside the coffin. Um, and the character, Paul Conroy, played by Ryan Reynolds, uh, he's trapped in this box uh, for the entire run of the film. I don't think that's a spoiler. Um, but uh, the camera uh, is able to move outside the confines of the box um, so talk a little bit about how you designed the camera moves. Uh, uh, what were some of the conversations that you had with the director, Rodrigo Cortez? Well, we we were very conscious that the movie, you know, had his its limitations, but that was actually the the singularity and the the amazing bit about the movie, amazing thing about the movie was that it's just a movie inside a coffin. But it's, it's such a compelling story that to, you know, to think it as, oh, it's a, it's a movie inside a coffin and just shoot it like normal coverage, it would not do justice to it. It would just keep it into a layer that it would be boring and it would be, you know, something you've seen before and, you know, much more uninteresting. So... We were very aware of the need of the camera moving, of the f- of the camera filling the whole space, and sometimes going even outside of it. I mean, we didn't want to play with wide lenses in s- just next to him, just f- 
all the time, you know. It's, it could work for a bit, but it's not the style we wanted. We wanted something much more stylistic, something much more clever and such a thing, much more with the character, you know, something that also could have the audience much more intrigued. Um, and that's why we decided to to you know to organize the the camera moves in sections. So you know at the beginning it doesn't move that much. Afterwards it starts you know you know doing m many tracking shots and moving and playing with the playing with the dynamics of it and the mise en scene and changing all the time the camera positions. And then you know at the end it just becomes much more brutal, much rougher, and it becomes handheld and, you know, a bit more, you know, more organic in that sense. And throughout the entire film, uh, it appears that you don't repeat the same shot twice. I think that's also really amazing. That Yeah, that's it. We we kind of looked at it and like, well, we're shooting always to a piece of wood in the background, so we better do something with with the way we shoot it. So we had this ambition, this thought that, you know, we didn't want to repeat any single shot in the whole movie. We just wanted to do different stuff all the time. So every time, I mean, we'll repeat positions, obviously, because it's a coffin, but we will use a different lens, we'll change the composition, we will change the lighting, we'll change the mise en scene of that shot. So we'll keep, you know, creating something different every single shot and that was one of the ambitions so that the movie keeps flowing keeps keeps the audience interested and and also challenges us you know it was very difficult to go to the set every day and think you know what are we gonna do today to to do to do this <laughs> moving forward i mean are we gonna run out of ideas because the first two days you think yeah great that's very creative but when you're on day 15 you think are we haven't we done everything that was possible inside the coffin what are we gonna do next and no then you come with a new idea with a new with a new way of sorting the scene and 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 it's actually amazing to see how many ways of shooting a guy inside the coffin can be and and that's always a challenge and a and something that makes us proud that you know we didn't repeat ourselves we just you know didn't try to do the same shot once twice <laughs> how many days did you spend in production i think production was 3 weeks only uh 17 days actually it was uh, because of Ryan Reynolds' shooting days. Obviously, it's a, theoretically, it should be easy. It's only in coffin, but actually, it was the most hectic shoot I've ever been. We shot like between 25 and 30 shots a day, you know, normally. And it was, it was, it was tough because you're inside a, such a contained space and everyone, everything that happens on the set has to, you know, happen in that you know, three square foot uh, and everything happens in there. So everything takes its time. And, and was there at any point during, you know, those three weeks where you were looking at what you were doing and just sort of questioning, you know, the whole idea uh, 
behind is this wondering if this is gonna work <laughs> no we were absolutely insane all the way through you know from moment one that we accept this movie it was absolutely insane and there was no point in making it you know go through rationality it's just you just sometimes you just need to go with your instincts and just go with them and just don't don't even question until you finish and you think oh my god what i have done it's just you know when you meet a girl and you fell in love it's the same thing with movies you know you just fell in love and you just go for them and you just you are that's the best thing it can happen and you're doing an amazing thing and then suddenly whoa it finishes or something you know happens and then you are back to reality and it's like what was i doing and so that was a bit the feeling when we were shooting Barry. You had multiple versions of the box, right? I know that there's a scene where uh, uh, you, you sort of start on a close-up of Paul's face and then boom out, and then the sides of the uh, of the uh, coffin start to stretch out to infinity. Yeah, absolutely. We had seven different coffins for all the purposes that of the different shots we ambition. We mainly used one master coffin that we used for the 80% of the movie that was, you know, perfectly designed to do all sorts of stuff. Um, but then it will come the shot that we will have to do, like you said, like this shot that it goes to infinity, like this crane up that it, you know, it gets Paul Conroy very small in shot. It ends up with Paul Conroy very small in shot with a huge coffin that is obviously... And, you know, it's a concept shot, you know, and and it's quite a bit different from the whole movie. You just, you just for a sec, you just go out uh, and see Paul Conroe in a coffin that you have never seen. But obviously we had to build that coffin um, from scratch and it was a different coffin. And then, for example, we'll have, have a coffin that we'll use for for pickups or for details or will there's a shot that we do 180 degrees shot and we start on his face and we go through the lid the the top corner of the coffin the top wood piece of wood and then we go to his feet and obviously we we we, we slice call a pole in two and the coffin in two so Paul Conroy uh, Ryan Reynolds is in the top coffin or where is his face but on the other side we see his legs, but obviously it's not her, they are not his legs because his legs are touching the camera. Um, these are the production assistant's legs, just pretending to be, you know, with the with the other feet round. So you know, the, with the right hand leg, right leg, they will have the feet, the shoe for the left. So the two guys just trying to squeeze their legs in the shot, and so we can have this false. Thing that the, the the camera was actually in his belly, you know, and and that he's looking down the 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 in one shot he's looking, you know, we're looking at him and then he's looking to his feet and we just so we need two pieces of of coffins on that and and then we use another one that was like you could move up and down all the all the doors all the wooden pieces so you we will do a 300 or no it was actually a 70, 720 degrees shot around uh, around Ryan inside the coffin and we'll keep moving up and down the the you know the the pieces of wood so we'll shoot through them not seeing them and then when we slide to the next piece of wood the next corner then the the first one is is up, so we see it on camera. So that was pretty tricky, um, and yeah, we we use all kind of different coffins for different purposes because 
you know, obviously the the the, the show had to keep moving, keep showing different stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, for the most of the shoot, you're in this tiny space, right? The same tiny space, maybe like yeah, what like a couple meters long and. What kind of camera did you use? Yeah, we shot on 35 mil and with a uh, um the compact, the compact of Movicam, Movicam compact. And and yeah, basically it's very simple principle. It's like from where you're shooting, you you just have that lid down and all the other ones are in. So that's your background and you see them. So there's only one small place where the, where the coffin is not covered is where you have the camera. That's basically what we did. And then suddenly, if we would need to move from one side to the other of the coffin, we'll move up that lid that we were f- first were and have it as a background in the end shot, for example. So, um, but yes, I mean, a 35 mil camera is big, but you can you can fit one and even two. Sometimes we a lot of the times we were shooting two cameras at the same time on Ryan. So just for continuity purposes, so he had need to he didn't need to repeat it twice the the action and just for so it has a perfect continuity. You know it 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 seems that uh, a digital camera would have been sort of the perfect choice. It would have been the perfect choice for a project like this, especially given. You have uh, smaller form factors, and also you uh, lit a lot of the film with things like cell phones and uh, lighters, yeah, flashlights, that uh, sort of thing. Absolutely, but on that time, the 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 you know the the canons, the small canons, they haven't come out yet uh, in the film industry, and and. And there was something, I mean, when I first came in the project, it was supposed to be shot on red. But then there was something about the direction of the movie that it was in, it was wrong about shooting digital. I was, because that movie, it's about dust. It's about the desert. It's about the roughness of the situation. It's about, you know, smelling, uh, smelling um, Ryan's breath. And it's about, you know, being there very close and feeling the the sweat and the and the sand you know and and the wood so the, the, there was something about the organicity of film and the texture of the grain that it suited perfectly to the to the film and and it's just it's just this you know negative has has this quality that digital still doesn't have you know and that it allows us to you know to have a better color reproduction to have a a beautiful grain and to have a bit more sensibility than you know than the red camera and so so we it was per- the perfect choice we actually shot on you know on 500t the 5260 uh, from Kodak and we pushed it one stop to get a bit more of grain and a bit more of contrast and a bit more of saturation and to have it a bit rougher because that's what we liked about it, you know. And obviously, it's a bit more bulky. It's it's not as you know as easy to operate, uh, you know, as, and as small as a as a small digital camera. But it's still, we all thought from moment one that that was the perfect solution for it, you know. And 
and we are so far very convinced. And when you are grading it also, you feel like, wow, thanks God that I'm shooting on film because it's just, it gives you much more possibilities and oh, on that light that is so dim on the background or, you know, or you can play with it and, the, and the, you know, and the overexposed and the underexposed, they look good. They just have this texture that it's perfect for the film. So. Paul has access to a lot of different light sources. I mentioned before the cell phone, the lighter, glow stick and flashlight and each one has a distinctive quality um were were these sources picked uh for the kind of dramatic um moods that they bring to each scene absolutely that came from chris sparling's amazing script and the 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 movie keep changing the sources you know for all reasonably real and you know possible and also to 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 create a different mood and a bit the different atmosphere for each scene and so each light had a very peculiar light you know like you have the flickery you know dim and just like inconsistent light of the of the of the of the zippo and then you have this very full of light coughing because of the of the torch you know and that's a lot of different you know one feels much more you know inconsistent and and you know panicky and the other one feels much more cozy and it's funny because you know when when the when the torch light arrives and it illuminates all everything you know you just suddenly feel a bit relieved suddenly you see all the coffins suddenly wow it feels even comfy, you know? It's, uh, oh, good. I'm going to be here for an hour more and inside this coffin. Nice. I, now I can see it all. And actually, it it is, you know, it is a tool to keep the movie changing, to keep the lighting and the colors and the audience interest. Um, so we we chose very carefully what we are using, you know, and the colors and, you know, and we had it also, we had the script painted in colors to know which section was in which color, you know, and which, well, in, in which um, tool. So now, so, so that we were very aware that, you know, to keep changing the colors, to keep, you know, oh, now the lighter doesn't work, so he takes the torch and then the lighter starts working again. And, you know, and it's these kind of things, they just keep, keep the ball rolling you know also the with the colors i mean we were very precise that we wanted the each color to be very very different very specific and to create a different mood for each scene you know um for example the 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 bluish cyanish color of the of the cell phone it's very different from the torch or it's very different from the flicker and we and even the glow stick, for example, the, the so green, and we took it. We took it. It took a long time to find the green, perfect green that we wanted. And even though they are, you know, very, very precise, we also play with them inside the the color spectrum. We there's a, you know, there are bits where the, the phone will appear much bluer and then suddenly will go much desaturated because it felt better for that scene or it looked better if if that if that scene afterwards like 20 minutes later the phone wasn't exactly exactly like at the beginning you know so it kept a bit of you know you keep playing with with within the color you keep playing with it you know as well to to tell the story when you were lighting were you 
trying to work primarily from practical sources? Um, and, and how often did you augment those sources? Yeah, I mean, the, the, whole, the whole concept of the movie was that it had to feel like we were actually there and there was no lighting or it didn't look... We didn't want it to look too good. We didn't want it to look too set up. We just wanted to to feel real and that was our main purpose. So we try as much as we could to use the actual sources, but obviously that's not possible most of the time. So like I would say like 60% of the time and um, we'll cheat the source and then, you know, there would be 40% that would, would be actually the actual source. For example, the Zippo will work in a very close, on a close-up, and he had the Zippo very close. But then he brings the Zippo down to his, uh, I don't know, to his belly, and then the Zippo doesn't light enough to light his face. So you need to cheat it, you know, and all this sort of stuff. will find always a way to cheat, you know, the, all the lights. And, and for example, the, the cell phone was too six or eight LED lights controlled remotely um, so we could control when it, you know, the, the telephone would ring or the telephone will change or will switch off and without, you know, interfering with the sound as well. So, so yeah, I mean, we, we, we look for all different techniques and for me it was very important that on his eyes we would never see a different source that is not what it is supposed to be. So on his eyes, if he has the Zippo, there's only one, one little trink of, of, of the Zippo light on it. So and what was very important for me. So you don't see sometimes, you know, obviously we are in so many close-ups that you will realize even more, more clearly here if you had, you know, I don't know, the cell phone and then there would be two different lights on his eyes, you know, so we were very careful on that and and we play with the with the sources as much as we could to to create to create a, a, a feeling of reality of what they were, you know. Now there are times when the quality and the quantity of light from these practicals will change. Uh like the scene when Paul falls asleep with the flashlight on, you can only see his face and the rest of the coffin is falling off into blackness. And also where he's contemplating suicide, you have that single overhead, unmotivated source. Uh, explain how you came by by these techniques. The torchlight was great because suddenly after shooting for a week without, without, without many light at 1-3, you know, suddenly you have the torchlight and... Wow, it gives a lot of light to the coffin, to the image, and suddenly it gives the it gives the my amazing focus pullers and uh, power edge and and main unit and um, Uriol Busquets. It gives them a smile because they have uh, a bit of a stop, you know, to you know, so they can sleep a bit better, you know, and so. But also, it was bad. It was great because it gives us the ability to to really direct. Uh, a strong source into into one place, you know, and the torch it just concentrates and focuses on on a place, and it just burns and has this, you know, this quality that is just something burning that it's even, you know, just it just hurts your eyes, and we like that, and to you know, as a as a tool to 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 throw the light into into Paul Conroy's face, so it even hurts, but it's just. And it's rough, but 
it's this this use of of a torch that you know I find it cool and I, well not cool it's just I find it nice because it it just it just tells the story and it's just rough and it's and it's on 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 poles really strong and and on that scene you're mentioning yes of course you know he's his point he doesn't you know he's not touching the torch he's just holding it just somewhere and it just happens to point at his at his face burning it and there's everywhere else it's all black because there is no bounce um of the torch because it's so you know on his face so the it doesn't bounce that that far away and also you know we 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 try to play with the sources as much as we can to make it look you know in a different in in different directions sometimes it was about making it look you know strong sometimes it was about making it look more much more moody sometimes it was making it more atmospheric sometimes it was about much more of a of a telling the story with the light so we 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 play with them as much as we could and there is this scene that you're talking about when he is thinking of the suicide um, and we created this this moment without coughing actually like it's all in black um where the light is suddenly unmotivated we're shooting at six frames per second so all the movement gets blurred and and there is this feeling of what well, you know unreality that comes from nowhere and it's just um there is no no attachment to 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 the actual coughing and to the action situation and it was to create this feeling of trance that Paul Conroy was through on that moment and he's thinking of committing suicide and so that's what why we we did that too in a way then it seems like there are there are moments where he actually does leave the coffin you know but he's he's in his own mind that's it yeah there are you know three four moments in the movie that you know it feels like we are leaving the coffin or we are not stuck inside the coffin but we thought it was it was a conceptual understanding of the coffin it was not like we're living we're not doing a flashback outside the coffin which is it's we're still in in paul's mind mm-hmm. so. later on in the film you do some interesting things with camera work and selective focus it seems that as we are barreling towards this man's fate his ultimate fate uh that the that the storytelling evolves and and is on that journey yeah. with us yeah we envision the the film like as a progressive um a progressive narrative so we will start very square so shooting you know frontal or profile or toppy you know like 90 degrees totally square on on to the character and uh, for the beginning, and that will we will call it the Kill Bill bit, you know. So it starts like Kill Bill because it's uh, Kill Bill is a bit like that. It's very square all the shots, but that's like the first ten minutes actually when it, the movie is more about claustrophobia, and it's just not to start too strong at the beginning of the movie. It was just to start a bit more pause. So from there we can evolve to the next bit where we can we start tracking a bit more. We start doing you know fast camera moves or tracking ins and we start playing with more like a Tana, no more like a Scorsese and the Palma references and we start playing a bit more with the camera as a as a narrative tool and it's a bit more Hitchcocky on that beat you know and 
and then after that it becomes a bit much more it's when when the movie is 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 going to an end and we start playing with the handheld camera much more rougher much more you know aggressive like much more organic and closer to Ryan also to you know to to and also it's much more hectic because of what happens inside the coffin at that point and it just needed a bit more of this feeling of you know humanity and this kind of shakiness uh so we can go with that although we sometimes track it's a shaky track but it's uh, we are tracking as well you know so so we wanted this and then we we did, you know, now and then <clears throat> we use some, you know, camera tools. Like we play a lot with the lenses. There is a lot of, you know, playing with the use of the lenses. So now we'll shoot with a tight lens, you know, uh, 85 or 100 mil. Or that now we'll shoot with a 35 much closer. We'll play much, you know, a lot with the lenses to create different moods and for the character and to be closer or further. And, you know, and, but then, there will be bits like like the testament you're mentioning that will use the shrink and shift lenses just to create a narrow depth of field like and the focus to you know to be very in a in a in a small spot of the frame so to direct the 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 viewer's eye and also to to create this feeling that that everything is is losing its 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 moment it's just vanishing like like is this a scene where he's touching the sand falling and the sand follows through his through his fingers and basically is is the focus is doing a bit a similar thing with with uh with the eyes of of Paul it's just sometimes it's follow it's it's falling and just sometimes it loses back and so it was basically a very organic you know focus pull so it was it was actually losing and gaining focus on Ryan and we play with that as a as a tool you know it's it's like we we had to play with tools and we had to make it a very cinematic experience because you know it's a movie inside a coffin so you need to play with tools and you need to play with with the language and the narrative very very clearly when you were talking to the director Rodrigo what kinds of discussions would you have about the language and the narrative Rodrigo is a really clever director. He's a guy that, you know, after meeting him for two minutes, you've realized that he's full of ideas. He's full, his mind is racing and he never stops. He's, you know, he's, he knows a lot about film references and it was a joy to, to work with him. It was actually, you know, I learned so much from him. You know, it's a guy that, that, He's always thinking in film terms and he's always, you know, quoting other filmmakers. And, you know, when we were working on it, I mean, he, you know, he knew what he wanted in every scene. And he, you know, we'll, that, that was like the starting point. And then on the set, we'll, you know, you know keep changing things to, to improve them and to make them better. But it was, um, there was a lot of talking about, you know, about you know film references um, like Hitchcock, Hitchcock, you know it's someone that appear all the time in our conversations. It's such a Hitchcockian movie uh, that obviously the you know, the master of suspense had to be in a lot of conversations. Also, we talk about about Scorsese and Coppola's and 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 the Palmas and and Tarantino's and also some other movies that have been done in the coffins, like a Belgian movie 
an amazing Belgian movie that you know that has a scene and a coffin and but you know so we will talk also about Indiana Jones and Spielberg you know like like because the movie had to be as exciting as you know the Last Crusade it had to be but inside the coffin you know we we talked about some of the directors that you know influenced the 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 look and and style of the film who are some of the cinematographers that that influenced the work that you do wow there are so many DPs that have inspired me i mean it's since my Film school times, um, you know, it's always been Xavi Jiménez and Javier Aguirre Sarobe who have inspired me, like the two biggest DPs in Spain. And then, you know, my friends, I learn a lot from my friends and the people I work with, uh, which is an amazing team. You know, my DPs like Arnau Baj, Isaac Vila, Pau Esteba, they have always inspired me. And there's a way of understanding cinema and the way we talk about it that... I, I learn a lot from them. And then there's the big guys, you know, the, like people in England, like Robert Ryan and Alvin Kuxler or, or Seamus McGarvey, people like that, that there's always something to learn, mainly as well when I was in film school in, in England afterwards. And then, you know, obviously there is always the big people, the big references, like like people like Roger Dickens and his beauty, Willie Fister and his perfection. Harry Sabides and his subtlety, um, Emmanuel Lubezki, his variety, Anthony the Mantle and his and his you know always changing boldness you know, and and then there is Chris Doyle who is like the master of the craftsman, the guy who you know who can make anything look beautiful you know, and so this is so many DPs that I've learned from. I mean, it's just a long list of of people and and. What I care mainly about them, what I see in them is this taste thing. They, they, it's the way of looking at the world, the way of looking at things, that they, 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 there is always something unique in their movies, something truly, you know, truly them in the movies they do, you know, and, and that's it. You know, it's a DP is about taste, you know, they pay you for the taste you have, you know, and, and when you see these guys, these big guys, their taste is so amazing that you can only but learn. Buried is not you know, your first big feature. You also shot a single man. And still shooting a film on such a small scale must have been a huge challenge. And going forward, how do you continue to challenge yourself as a cinematographer? Well, I've always looked at cinematography as a matter of passion. You know, I'm not here for anything but the else than passion you know i love cinema i love making films I, I love creating atmospheres and i love creating moods you know um so i i always follow my instincts when i choosing a movie i always read the script think of it carefully and and talk with the director and and that's the two key elements for me to to choose a, a movie, you know, I don't care about money, I don't care about budgets, I don't care about actors. Of course, it helps. Of course, it helps to have money. It helps you can play with more tools. Of course, it, you know, the actors make movies great, you know. But you know, for me, it's you know the script and the director is is the base of of filmmaking. It's it's the core and the kind of movies I want to do. They are not you know big movies or 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 small movies. The movies I want to do is the ones I feel passionate about, and the ones I feel there's something unique in them. The ones that that 
keep my mind and my heart racing and keep me excited. So those are the ones I I, I want to do. And choosing f- making films is it's tough because you know they they come with you with offers and and sometimes with big budget and but it's not. I don't care. I don't care. I'm not here to be rich. I'm just here to be happy and to to do the films I would like to see in the cinema. And so I think that's. That has to be, uh, of course, I hope I listen to this in 10 years time and I still think the same thing, you know, because, yeah, there is something about this, you know, that um, it interests me. It's like choosing the right movie for the right time of your life and you feel comfortable with it and you feel that's the one movie that you should be doing. And that's what the, the way I want to choose movies. I want to do all sorts of things. Films. I don't I want to do comedies. I want to do, you know, Indiana Jones, and I want to do very arty stuff. So I just, you know, I I don't want to limit myself because at the at the end of the day, I'm a filmmaker, and the joy of being a DP is that you can choose from different stories. You know, a, a director is much more nailed to a style or to a genre. And my style is that I adapt to styles. And make it them stylist, you know. It's just stylish. I mean, it's <clears throat> it's this kind of. I'm not doing the same stuff. I'm not doing the same. I don't want to do the same movie over and over again. I want to keep changing and keep doing all the time different movies and making them look different, but feel what they need to be. They feel them, make them feel special and different, you know. And that's my purpose as a DP. You know? That was cinematographer Edward Grau for the film Buried. This has been the American Cinematographer Podcast. Thanks for listening. You can find more podcasts, blogs, and exclusive ASC content by logging onto theasc.com. This podcast has been brought to you by the American Society of Cinematographers, a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting the art and craft of cinematography. Cinematography.